I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about Senator Rand rocks the Senate, alarming Tulsi Gabbard warning, it's a great thing to listen to, uh, American conquest via immigration, and erasing America. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. There was a brilliant um, speech given yesterday on the floor of the United States Senate by Senator Rand Paul. What he did as the Senate moved to consider the impeachment you know, the Republicans are uh, in the Senate, and they're 50-50 with the Democrats. Impeachment's been sent over by the House, and then the Senate has a constitutional um, possibility uh, to go ahead and hold a trial and vote for removal, which, as we went over yesterday, is kind of crazy because the removal uh, refers to someone who's holding office, and President Trump is out of office. So huge constitutional question on whether or not it's even constitutionally permissible for the Senate to move forward on a hearing to remove the president when he's already out of office. But Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky, who is really a libertarian, he's not, um, I mean, he's a Republican um, and votes for the Republicans, but he's a libertarian and independent thinker. I have come to admire him and respect him. I never had a problem with him, but I, you know, he I hadn't been as aware as I now am of how profoundly, amazingly strong and brave and clear and uh, persuasive he is. He gave a great speech on the floor. Uh, this was in connection with his motion. Uh, I believe his motion was to table the vote. It was, it was some motion in opposition to moving forward with the full Senate hearing, the full Senate trial, trying President Trump on the ridiculous article of impeachment related to January 6th. But Rand Paul, let me just, I sent Matt the wonderful clip. I wanted to have you listen to what he had to say yesterday in the Senate. Democrats claim to want to unify the country, but impeaching a former president, a private citizen, is the antithesis of unity. Democrats brazenly appointing a pro-impeachment Democrat to preside over the trial is not fair or impartial and hardly encourages any kind of unity in our country. No, unity is the opposite of this travesty we are about to witness. If we are about to try to impeach a president, where is the Chief Justice? If the accused is no longer president, where is the constitutional power to impeach him? Private citizens don't get impeached. Impeachment is for removal from office, and the accused here has already left office. This sham of an impeachment will ostensibly ask whether the president incited the reprehensible behavior and violence of January 6th when he said, I know everyone here will soon march to the Capitol to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. Peacefully and patriotically, hardly words of violence. But what of Democrat words? What of Democrat incitement to violence? No Democrat will honestly ask whether Bernie Sanders incited the shooter that nearly killed Steve Scalise and volunteer coach. The shooter nearly pulled off a massacre. 
I was there because he fervently believed the false and inflammatory rhetoric spewed by Bernie and other Democrats, such as the Republican health care plan for the uninsured is that you die. As this avowed Bernie supporter shot Steve Scalise, nearly killing him, and shot one of our coaches and two or three of our staff, he screamed, this is for health care. Ask me or anyone if that's incitement. No Democrat will ask whether Cory Booker incited violence when he called for his supporters to get, get up in their face of Congress people, a very visual and specific incitement. No Democrat will ask whether Maxine Waters incited violence when she literally told her supporters, and I quote, that if you see a member of the Trump administration at a restaurant, at an apartment store, at a gas station, or any place, you create a crowd and you push back on them. Is that not incitement? But no Democrat has ever considered impeaching Maxine for her violent rhetoric. In fact, Republicans, to our credit, have never once thought it legitimate to formally censor or impeach these Democrats. No Republican has sought to use the government to hold these Democrats responsible for Antifa and Black Lives Matter violence that has consumed our cities all summer, resulting in over a billion dollars of destruction, looting, and property damage. Not one Republican said, oh, let's impeach the Democrats who are inciting this, because it would be ridiculous. Many on the Democrat side of the aisle cheered them on. Kamala Harris famously offered to pay the bill for those who are arrested. I wonder if she'll be brought up on charges of inciting violence for that now that she's vice president. Should Kamala Harris be impeached for offering to pay for violent people to get out of jail who've been burning our cities down? No, and no Republican has offered that because we're not going down the road that Democrats have decided, this low road of impeaching people for political speech. I have to tell you, he was fabulous. That was a great clip. Um, I forgot where I cut it off there. Uh, I really encourage you, you can go to our website, americacanwetalk.org, and on the homepage, under shows, drop down list of links. I linked actually to his full remarks in this uh, floor of the Senate. I, I can hardly add anything to what he had to say. He's basically making the point, and really for all of America willing to be fair-minded, this intention to impeach this, or he has been impeached, intention to move forward with the Senate trial, move toward removal, is nothing other than ugly, vengeful hatred of President Trump on the part of the Democrats pushing it. They're not, they're, they're misusing, they're abusing a process the Constitution provides by trying to move forward to remove someone who cannot be removed because he's already out. What they're really signaling to the American people is we are so angry that he got to be president. We don't like him because he was an outsider and he disrupted the entire ruling class elite in Washington. He exposed the swamp. He made us look bad to our voters. And we want to be sure he is as scorned and ridiculed and, and just eviscerated as we possibly can. The message is to him, Trump, don't you get involved in politics again, which he will ignore because he's already set up his office of the former president. The messages to the American voters, you know, we, the guy was a bad choice. We don't like it. Don't you ever do this to uh, us again. And it's really just a, 
a, a signal that they, the ruling class elite in Washington, both parties, but ruling class elite, are just going to go as far as they can, do as much as they can, to send the signal, nobody messes with the swamp, nobody messes with the ruling class, we rule, you American people, back down, back off, shut up, and don't you dare send someone like him up here again. It is an effort to squelch the energy and passion of the massive millions of Americans who voted for President Trump the first time and the second time. It's a message to them, you know, don't even think about doing something like this again. You don't actually get to pick your president. You don't actually get to participate in the process. Do not feel emboldened by the message of the Trump campaign, the Trump presidency, that you have a role to play, that we the people still have a role. Go back to your homes and do what we tell you and do not ever do this to us again. It is a just a, a, a hysterically angry, vicious, ugly message from the Democrat Party. Rand Paul did a great job. Just, just can't commend him enough for that speech. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. So Tulsi Gabbard, remember that name? She ran for president. She stepped down from her, uh, she was a member of the U.S. Congress from Hawaii. She stepped down from her uh, seat, her congressional seat, to run for president. And she's actually kind of a, she's always an interesting character politically because she's very, uh, she, she's not hot-headed. She's very, um, her delivery is very warm, very earnest, very sincere. She's often able to see. She doesn't just toe the left-wing socialist line in this country. She's kind of an independent thinker, but you know, she's on the Democrat side. Well, she issued a statement that I want to play in just a moment, but it ties into a lot of what I want to talk about today. And that is beginning to recognize more clearly how dangerous the emboldened Marxist left is in America today. Recognizing we're just literally today, one week into the Biden presidency, and we are watching the left do what they do, gather their power, and grab as much power as they can at every step of the way. We talked about a couple days ago the idea that the top priorities of the Democrat Party in this first, whatever it is, 30, 45 days, is to push through a bill they're trying to call election integrity, which is essentially a, a bill to cement and mandate voter fraud practices to eliminate all protections for voter integrity in the entire country. So it's capturing elections so they can permanently be cheated by the Democrats, and second, to push amnesty. And so this is a, those two things together are a massive power grab by the left. But what Tulsi Gabbard is talking about, let her um, play this clip in just a moment here, but she's talking about the way the leftists, what they're putting in place, what they're, what they're beginning to set into place and try to create as a normal thing in America, this ongoing upgraded surveillance of American citizens using the excuse of domestic terrorism or the justification of domestic terrorism. But she's warning about, you need to really watch out what the left is putting in place in this country. This is Tulsi Gabbard. The mob that stormed the Capitol on January 6th to try to stop Congress from carrying out its constitutional responsibilities were behaving like domestic enemies of our country. But let's be clear, the John Brennans, Adam Schiff's, and the oligarchs in big tech who are trying to undermine our constitutionally protected rights and turn our country into a police state with KGB-style surveillance 
are also domestic enemies and much more powerful and therefore dangerous than the mob that stormed the Capitol. Now, John Brennan said, so I know looking forward that the members of the, the Biden team who have been nominated or have been appointed are now moving in laser-like fashion to try to uncover as much as they can about what looks very similar to insurgency movements that we've seen overseas, mm -hmm. where they germinate in different parts of the country and they gain strength and it brings together an unholy alliance frequently of religious, ex religious extremists, authoritarians, fascists, bigots, uh, racists, nativists, uh, even libertarians. Now, President Biden, I call upon you and all members of Congress from both parties to denounce these efforts by the likes of Brennan and others to take away our civil liberties that are endowed to us by our creator and guaranteed in our constitution. If you don't stand up to these people now, then our country will be in great peril. Tulsi Gabbard, isn't she awesome? Honestly, it's kind of surprising she didn't become a Republican. But anyway, she ran as a Democrat for the presidency uh, in, 20, uh, in 2020 and in the 2019 primary. And so she's, you know, she's a private citizen in Hawaii, but she's a very persuasive voice, and in part because she is so calm and logical in her delivery. But what she's talking about could not be more ominous and threatening and serious. And that is the mindset and this is of leftists around the world since time began. When leftists grab power, among the first things they do is try to silence their opposition, to make what their opposition is saying and doing somehow illegal, unacceptable, uh, arrestable. This has happened in socialist, communist takeovers in this world since socialism uh, arrived on the planet. It has been the mode of dictators and uh, whether it was in uh, Russia when you had Lenin, then Stalin, whether it was in Cuba, Venezuela, a hallmark of leftism around the world is absolute intolerance for anyone expressing any idea they don't agree with. The robust Western civilization idea of free speech has no place in left-wing thought. No place, no tolerance, no acceptance. You've seen this actually in America as we watch the, the growing leftist control over universities at college campuses where literally the, the universities somehow cannot seem to contain their leftist students who don't want to allow conservatives to speak, don't want to allow people who want to come and talk about uh, you know, freedom and free markets or uh, the entire truth about the data relating to Black Lives Matter and police shootings. Uh, Heather McDonald has been booed down many times just for saying, could I just share some facts, some actual data? You have, leftism has as a hallmark of its very existence intolerance of anyone expressing the opposite view and even more than tolerance, it is a labeling of the opposite view, the labeling of anyone who dares to express anything they don't agree with. It's not just that they're told that the leftists say our opponents are wrong. It's not just that. The leftists don't just say, well, you know, we, we have everything right and so these people are wrong. It is labeling their political opponents the way the left labels in America today anyone who will not agree with them. Everyone is labeled as a hater or a bigot or a xenophobe or a homophobe or some other horrible word or and right now the term is a domestic terrorist. The left is using, I mean I just can't possibly 
raise your alarm bells high enough in understanding where this Marxist regime in Washington, under Biden and a Democrat-controlled House and Senate, where they are headed. They're headed to labeling people who don't agree with them and who want to challenge them in some way as domestic terrorists. So in the United States House, there's a bill already pending. In her lengthy remarks, Tulsi Gabbard made reference to this. It's the DTPA, DTPA, which is Domestic Terrorism Prevention Act of 2021. It was also a bill in the last session, and it got some votes. And the thing is, people, and this, these are get to be complex things to talk about, but it matters to really break it down. Of course, we want our law enforcement officials to prevent real terrorism. We actually want our law enforcement professionals to not permit actual violent acts of terrorism. And they can't wait till the terrorists get, you know, to the entrance of the theater they're about to blow up or to some other thing they're about to do to first be identified by those people in charge and identify as terrorists. So it's a complicated question. It's a complicated question and one that law enforcement and the courts have struggled with is when you cross the line of, from free speech uh, into dangerous speech and when does it become illegal speech? When does it become speech you can regulate, you must regulate? When does it become speech that actually might cause you to be arrested? These are complex ideas in a country committed to the freedom of speech under the First Amendment. But the danger that I'm trying to raise right now is that the left has succeeded in characterizing the ideas of conservatism, the ideas of supporting a, a free market economy, a free and strong country. Uh, you, you heard in Brennan's comments there, he lumped in religious extremists. Well, who's to say what a religious extremist is? What if you think your church should get to be open on Sundays, even when COVID is out there? What if you think you are a religious American of Jewish or Christian faith or any other faith and you think you should be allowed to express your faith while you're at work and while you're at work as an employee in a public entity like a public school? Is that an extremist? The words they use are designed to dupe people into supporting their agenda, which you have to be very careful to figure out what an extremist is. If an extremist is somebody who says, I actually believe in the Second Amendment and the right to keep and bear arms, and I'm not going to give my guns up. Is that an extremist? Someone who resists the uh, gun collection efforts the left is always threatening to do, and in some cases starting to do? Is that person an extremist? There are a whole range of examples, a whole host of ideas where extremism is the label used. It's used as a weapon by the left to silence their political opposition. And so she, Tulsi Gabbard, is trying to say, you gotta recognize where these people are headed in this domestic terrorism argument because they're trying to say, you know, that you have that uh, domestic terrorism, even based on speech, is, is dangerous and must be shut down. And so I, I would just tell you, I mean, I, I, that little clip she played of John Brennan, he talked about, he lumps in religious extremists, authoritarians, fascists, bigots, racists, nativists, and even, even libertarians of all loopy things. Well, I mean, what does it mean to be a nativist? That you support the founding ideas of America, so you're a nativist? What does it mean to be racist? Because the left always defines racist, even though the left lives to divide America along lines of race lives to create identity politics as the, as the basic springboard of all conversation. So the left it, it just, just um, 
infects the American political conversation with endless discussion of race, but then they talk about racism. And so does racism mean, for example, that you don't support the Black Lives Matter agenda because you're a little bit worried about defunding police? Is that racist? And these are dangerous things. What the left is doing is identifying groups of people as consistent with domestic terrorists, very, very alarming. There are a whole bunch of um, examples and details uh, that Tulsi Gabbard, she gave quite a detailed presentation about this. I want to be sure um, she's, she's talking about people who are, she's saying essentially what the left is trying to do is identify conservatives and Trump supporters as dangerous extremists. This is where the left is headed. This is another vehicle for the left that is so irate that Donald Trump managed to stir up the patriotic passion of millions of Americans who suddenly discover they actually do have a voice in the American political conversation. They do have a right to expect the government to, to defend their rights. This is going to be lumped in by the left as, well, these domestic terrorists, you know, they still, they still supported Trump. Um, and so she had a, uh, and you know, another example of that we've watched over the years, I've come at it many times, the Southern Poverty Law Center, which is a formerly, arguably reputable organization, but over time, they, they first identified the KKK, which was clearly racist and dangerous, and, and, and they should have been uh, characterized, labeled by the Southern Poverty Law Center um, as a dangerous uh, group, a hate crime group, but that expanded you know, that expanded by the Southern Poverty Law Center into labeling, you know, like uh, Christian-based groups that support traditional marriage. Uh, Southern Poverty Law Center named those Family Research Council and Alliance Defending Freedom because they supported traditional marriage. This is the left using the concept of hate, contorting it to say anyone who won't agree with our agenda on marriage, on abortion, on any other issue, is a hater. And so the Southern Poverty Law Center, not part of the government, but formerly very influential. They're now at this point so disgraced, I don't think anybody listens to them, but people used to listen to them. It was a tactic of the left. And this is what Tulsi Gabbard is trying to warn about, what I want to warn about too. The freedom of speech in this country is central and vital to the perpetuation of America the free. America, the land of the free, you gotta have First Amendment speech rights. You have to actually have the speech right in America to say that you oppose socialism, Marxism, communism, that you support freedom and free markets, that you support a strong border, that you support immigration policy that puts the interests of American economy and the American people first, that you support all sorts of things that are just, that are, you know, red, you know, mainstream America, mainstream, Main Street America ideas are painted by the left as extreme and hateful. And then you're going to tumble into what the left is creating with this domestic terrorism idea. So this is a, I am waving a flag right now to say, watch this bill, watch how the left progresses on this. Um, in fact, I'll tell you one last quick thing about Trump and the whole, um, the decision the House made to impeach him and what the Senate is now considering uh, in terms of whether to move forward with a trial and a removal of someone not in office. But there's a negotiation ongoing about whether or not that the president, if they're not going to move forward with this, with this removal trial, why don't we just go with, say some of the very squishy Republicans, why don't we just go forward with censuring President Trump? Censuring President Trump. And so it's a punishment, it's like a slap in the hand. But again, you heard Tulsi Gabbard, I played it on my show, President Trump said to peacefully and patriotically make your way to the Capitol to have your voices heard. If that becomes speech punishable 
by for any reason punishable certainly ludicrous to the idea of punishing it by a removal a uh, you know senate confirming the house impeachment and removing although he can't be removed but this is saying well okay we can't remove him but we're still going to slap him on the hand because he can't say that and people the 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 deal in the Capitol, we've talked about this before, we're going to talk about it again more on this show. There certainly were Trump supporters who got inside the Capitol. A friend of mine actually got inside the Capitol, uh, probably uh, on, on ill-advisedly, but the place was filled with, and there were notices ahead of time given to the, the uh, Washington, D.C. Police Department. There were, there were witnesses on the ground saying the place is filled with Antifa, Black Lives Matter, it was a, a psychological operation, a psyops, to set up this massive, ugly, horrible attack, which I condemn, everyone condemns, we don't support violence, but it was a psyops used against the Trump administration to further harm him, to give the Democrats an excuse to yet again move to censure him, or move to impeach and remove, and now they're talking about censure. So censuring him for telling, they want to censure him for telling Americans that they should peacefully and patriotically protest. People, it actually, on the one hand, in the grand scheme of life, so even if the Senate, it would be a really bad thing and a wrong thing, but even if the Senate voted to remove him, even though he's not in office, and even if that stood constitutionally, that the Supreme Court just let it go, or even if just this happens, this censure happens, what you're seeing, what we would be validating in our country is the idea that the left can shut down the people they don't like, the speech they don't like, they can use their power, they now have majority power, White House, Senate, and the House, they can use it to shut down political enemies, and that, that whole concept, whole idea, has no place in America. It is a, just a dangerous first step. It's like one of those many slippery slope arguments we make all the time. You know, you, you, you say, well, this isn't so bad, so Trump gets censured, okay, you know, he was a little wound up that day. No, you're actually allowed to engage in free speech, especially as a president of the United States, and especially when you say peacefully and patriotically, and we should not be tolerating one iota, one iota of a punishment of him for his speech. And this is what the left, where they're headed. And once we okay this, this slippery slope, I'm telling you people, they're going to end up censuring more and more conservatives because nobody stopped them, including people on our side. I could talk more about that. But two more topics today. Um, and actually, it's, it's kind of an interesting day today. Um, there's so much going on and, um, and so many avenues to talk about. You know, and I, I this, here we are, Biden's one week uh, in power, one week uh, in the... Um, Oval Office, and he's, um, you know, he's jumping into his power very quickly, moving forward, things he wants to do. Um, and before I get to the exact topic of immigration, I just want to share one thing with you. I keep talking about trying to get past the image of Joe Biden as someone's kind of, you know, goofy, forgetful uh, great uncle or goofy, forgetful grandfather. He's bumbling. He's, you know, a little bit out of it, doesn't really know what's going on. But, you know, he's a bumbling, good-natured guy, and he's not a bad guy, blah, blah, blah. And I want to keep reminding you, he, throughout his entire term, time in Washington, serving in the Senate, has been beholden to leftist forces, especially beholden 
to communist forces that encouraged him from the very beginning of the time he ran for Senate to say, once you get to Washington, don't stand up against communists. It's very important. We're going to have to do a show breaking down a lot of the points about Biden because it's important for people who want to just say, well, you know, he won the election. I guess we let it go to understand this is a Marxist invasion, a Marxist takeover we are watching in this country with Biden and really, truly, deeply Kamala Harris as vice president with the Marxist elements already in place in Washington, the swamp already in place, the left is in charge now, the House and Senate. We have to be wide alert, on, on red alert, understanding, literally red alert, understanding that we're watching Marxist takeover and you got to stop it at every phase. As an interesting little um, factoid, I sent Matt the wonderful clip of Joe Biden. We'll play in just one moment. But, you know, there was a... Um, during the time when President Trump was president, a lot of lamenting by people on the left saying he's doing all these things by executive order. This isn't this isn't the way we do it in this country. You know, he's got to put these things through Congress. So, you know, Trump did a fair number of executive orders. I just want to tell you something very interesting. Joe Biden, Mr. You know, milk toast, uh, you know, doddering, confused uh, grandfather type. Joe Biden's been in office one week as of the 25th. So that's as of two days ago. He had already issued, he had already issued 33 executive orders, 33 executive orders. Uh, in fact, there are 33 orders, actions, and proclamations, blah, blah, blah. 21 of those, according to the White House's own website, were actual executive orders. As a parallel at this time, one week into his presidency, you have Biden has, has issued 33. Trump had issued four, four in 2017. Obama had issued five in his first week in office in 2009. President George W. Bush had issued zero in his first week in 2001. And President Bill Clinton had signed one, one in his first week of office in 1993. So you have Biden, who everyone's trying to claim is always a man of the people, he's going to work with Congress. He is issuing executive orders out the wazoo I want to ask Matt to play this quick clip that what Biden had to say about this in October while he was still candidate Biden. No, well, I got to get the votes. I got to get the votes. That's why, you know, uh, the one thing that I, ha I have this strange notion, we are a democracy. Some of my Republican friends and some of my Democratic friends even occasionally say, well, if you can't get the votes by executive order, you're going to do something. Things you can't do by executive order unless you're a dictator. We're a democracy. We need consensus. Got to take a quick break. We'll be okay, so you got Mr. Democracy, can't do executive orders. 33 in the first week. But the only little other point I want to make about this before I get to my immigration topic is that it's a kind of odd thing because Biden has a Democrat majority in the House and Senate. He doesn't really need to be doing executive orders to get his agenda done because he's got control of the entire government. And yet he's choosing to do all these executive orders far more than the whole litany of predecessors I just read to you, far more than all of them. And I'm gonna tell you my thought about why. I think that Biden understands, to the extent he understands anything, maybe Kamala Harris understands, that the leftist agenda he wants to push onto this country, the Marxist agenda he wants to bring to this country is not actually something the American voters want. It's not what they signed up for. It's not what they elected him for. And he knows that it is unwise for him to put these, these items, these executive order items through as in the regular legislative process. 
he has to recognize he's got House members and senators who are going to say, we can't vote for this. I'll get voted out of office. I can't vote for all this crazy you're doing. I, I can't, especially the immigration stuff. I can't vote for this. I'll lose my seat. He knows his agenda is so radical. Even though he's got the Democrat majority in the House and Senate, he won't put it through his legislation. He's doing it by executive order. Even though he admitted in October that was what a tyrant does, and he is Mr. Democracy, so he wouldn't do that, but he's doing exactly the thing he said only tyrants do, putting his agenda through uh, via executive order. And that is, of course, because I think the reason is he understands the very Democrat majority he's counting on, even though even his party majority in the House and Senate are not going to go along and don't want to have to vote for the leftist agenda he's pushing through. But now on to immigration. There's a couple of things I want to hit in this topic, but and they kind of fall under a larger point I wanted to make. So when President Obama was elected the first time, one of the many things he said over and over was, elections have consequences. He said that as he is was pushing forward his agenda. His agenda items elections have consequences. This is what happens. You're, hey, I won, I get to do it. And so he pushed through, for example, socialized medicine in his very the first two years of his term, pushed through socialized medicine under the label Obamacare, had to pass it on the re using reconciliation, middle of the night, you know, horse trades, middle of the night, because otherwise he was perfectly aware and his members of the House and Senate. And his side of the aisle, the Democrats, did not want to have to be responsible. And this is entirely a ploy used by him. But Obama used the line that, you know, basically, I won. You know, elections have consequences. So right now, moving back where we are in 2020, we have Republicans in the House and Senate. They're going to have to look at the legislation, the policies, the ideas that Biden is putting forth. And part of the answer you will hear from Biden and other Democrats is, hey, elections have consequences. You know, Biden won. So this is why we're going to do full amnesty for 25 million Americans. This is why we're going to tear down the border wall. This is why we're going to encourage the uh, caravans to come pouring over our border. This is why we're going to do this, 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 this. And the argument is because Biden won and elections have consequences. And I'm raising this early in the Biden administration because I want to make the point that the, I believe the vast majority of policy items, the vast majority of the intention, the agenda of the left, America did not vote for. America did not choose this. America did not vote for this. And I say that for several reasons. One, sorry, George Stephanopoulos, the election was stolen. The election was stolen. An overwhelming number of Americans wanted to keep America right on track with the Trump agenda, and they got they had their election stolen. So <clears throat> treating President Biden as though he's legitimate, as though he le legitimately won, is not valid. I mean, many Republicans can say, sorry, I think it was stolen, and that's a reason that I'm not just going to salute to your agenda. Number two, Biden didn't campaign. I mean, literally, he sat in his basement in Delaware. I don't even know what he was doing, you know, playing checkers with somebody. I don't know what he was doing, but he did not run on an agenda. He did not get out there and say, I stand up for full amnesty for everybody who's illegal in America. Because I got to tell you that he really would have had pushback. He hid his agenda from the American people and he didn't campaign. He did not create a mandate among American voters because he didn't even campaign. 
and Kamala Harris didn't do that much either. So you have the two of them on track to win the presidency through this scheme of, of involving voter fraud, and they didn't feel like they had to sell their agenda. That's reason number two. We do not have to agree that elections have consequences, so we have to salute to the Biden agenda. He didn't have an agenda when he ran. He barely ran. And number three, actually, elections do have consequences because Americans who chose the Republican representatives in the Senate, you're, you're 50-50, Democrat, Republican, well, elections have consequences. All 50 Republicans who were reelected or, or who were elected or who seated in the Senate, they won elections. They've made commitment to their voters. They've made a commitment to stand for the principles they said they believed in. And they have not only the right, but the duty to stand by the principles that got them elected. And in the House, you had Pelosi was pilloried by the Democrats because she was anticipating a massive increase in the Democrat majority in the House, and they barely held on to the House. They had so many more Republicans elected, they barely held on to the House. And those voters who put those Republicans, who increased the Republican minority numbers in the House, those elections count too. I'm getting around to saying, I want to embolden the Republicans in the House and Senate to stand up against the objectionable items in the Biden agenda because America didn't vote for that. America didn't vote for what Biden is trying to do. We have to start that as a hashtag, start that as a saying, start that as a pushback. America did not vote for what Biden's trying to do. Now let me hit the whole thing on amnesty. Two quick things. So Biden, um, on, actually on election night, so we, I mean, excuse me, not election night, on um, inauguration night, January 20th, you had acting secretary uh, of the um, Homeland Security, acting secretary, uh, David Pekeski, issued a memorandum on the evening of January 20th, putting in place 100-day deportation moratorium. So the very first thing he's in, I mean, Biden is, you know, barely uh, finished reciting his oath, and the guy, the acting um, uh, head of Homeland Security, Pekeski, says, you know what, um, we're going to do a 100-day complete freeze on deportations, moratorium on deportations. So we know we've had a judge overturn that, uh, at least temporarily in Texas. Uh, we had our great attorney general push that, and one judge said, now actually you can continue deportations. But the other items that the uh, left is putting in on the amnesty issue I say Republicans need to push back on every issue, every time. They had, for example, the first uh, communication said, as of midnight, this is the order that was sent, a directive sent to all ICE detention centers by the Biden team on inauguration night. As of midnight tonight, stop all removals. This includes Mexican bus runs, charter flights, stop removals, stop even removing people who you are finding who are illegal aliens. This includes Mexican bus runs, charter flights, commercial removals until further notice. All cases are to be considered no significant likelihood of removal in the foreseeable future. They're telling him, assume that everybody you come across is illegal, you have to assume must be treated as there's no significant likelihood of them being removed. The email goes on to say, release them all immediately. No sponsor available for the people you've captured coming across the border illegally. The no sponsor available used to be a reason to hold them in detention. No sponsor available is not acceptable any longer. Now, later on, 
they modified that slightly, but the point is, this is the left deciding, and, and again, if you haven't listened to me say this, or, or you haven't heard others say it, the agenda on the left on immigration and on amnesty is all about trying to create a permanent Democrat majority voting base by moving toward amnesty as fast as they can for everyone who's in America illegally and stopping the whole enforcement of the border. It is encouraging the flooding of, of people who are, are not American citizens, have no legal right to be here, the flooding of the border, bring them in here, let them get lost in the morass, and pretty soon they'll become among the people we are giving, uh, we're going to give eventually citizenship to, we're gonna grant amnesty and get them to citizenship. Do not think for a moment that the leftist policy, the uh, ideas of the left on immigration and asylum uh, have anything to do with compassion or kindness. It is a pure, ugly, raw political tactic to get these people into America and made legal as fast as they can to get to the um, point of uh, becoming citizens. And kind of related to that, uh, there, right now what's happening in the Senate, there are uh, confirmations going forward on a variety of people that President Biden has nominated for various jobs. And I want to mention one of them because it relates to this topic, topic of immigration. So uh, the Homeland Security Secretary, uh, there's the, the nomination's been made. It's a gentleman uh, named Alejandro Mayorkas. Alejandro Mayorkas. And he is the one Biden has nominated to become head of Department of Homeland Security. And so right now, the, where he stands in the process is, you know, the process is laid out for them, uh, for Congress. And so when you have a nomination, so you move them forward through um, the committee, and then the committee votes them out, and then it goes to the floor, and the floor has to vote. And so there's a little bit, I'm trying to find, I had a list of all the ones pending. Okay, yeah, here, anyway, so the process happens like that. It gets to the floor of the Senate. There is a permissible um, objection to be made when a nominee has made it to the floor of the Senate that you can have a, um, essentially people opposing the, uh, the nominee or wanting to examine the nominee's qualifications more thoroughly wanting to, in fact, one argument with this guy was there should be several committees that look at him before we vote for him. My point of all this is, so where he stands is, uh, it's gotten to the floor, there's gonna be a vote. Uh, there is a question whether or not the, uh, there is still the ability to, um, to disrupt his nomination and whether Republicans should do that, whether Democrats should do that. And the reason is it's really kind of a huge uh, issue right now is this guy is completely on with the Biden agenda. Naturally, he's completely on the uh, Biden agenda of, you know, at least stop building the wall, maybe even uh, tear down the wall, most certainly uh, cut back on border enforcement. Let's stop hassling all these people trying to cross the border. I mean, the guy's a very open borders uh, leftist. And this is a good example when I say Republicans do not have to, even given where we are with 50 Democrats and 50 Republicans in the Senate, Republicans should not just concede, well, Biden won the presidency, so you know elections have consequences, so this will move them on through. This is a good example. It's a good opportunity for Republicans to, to push the word out to American citizens. Did you really mean to vote for amnesty? Did you really think, is this what you thought you were doing when you voted for President Biden? 
Is this what you really want to happen in America? Do you want to have the defunding of the wall? Do you want to have the wall knocked down? Do you want to have our borders more created and more porous now? I mean, there's just all sorts of things that the Biden team is doing to weaken border security. This guy is all for it. And I think it's a winning issue for Republicans to be saying, I don't think America voted for this. I don't think America voted for this. I, I really hope there is a willingness uh, on the part of some Republicans to say, in fact, there was even, even the usually uh, unreliable John Cornyn had said, hey, you know, this guy, that you, this Alejandro, um, sorry, Alejandro Mayorkas, uh, he should actually go through some other committees too. It's not, not, probably not quite enough just to have a Homeland Security um, Committee. And they said, no, we're not doing that. So this is uh, up in the air in Washington. And obviously what I'm really trying to do um, is raise the point, that the overarching point, that because of the election debacle of 2020, because millions of Americans do not think we had a fair election, because election fraud was never investigated by any court, that the cases filed, even though there were 80-something cases filed, courts dismissed the cases on vote fraud and election fraud on the grounds of you know latches or no standing or premature, something other than let's look at the merits. And if you don't have a court looking at the merits, you have every right on the side, Republican side of the aisle, and it should be the Democrats too, the Republican side of the aisle to say, well, then we don't know who won. And so we don't have to salute to this. Joe Biden, elections have consequences, give in and give up on amnesty because of, of all the many issues, and there are many issues that matter. But this one is huge. If the Democrats get amnesty for whatever the number really is, 25 million Americans, and they push through the mandating voter fraud everywhere, the elimination of election integrity in this country, we really are sunk. If we're gonna have, by 2022, you know, 25 million new Americans, no protections, virtually no protections against election fraud, you know, hang it up, sister. So now is the time to fight. Now is the time to fight. The Republicans in the Senate do have the ability to hold up this nomination, to cause trouble about it, to raise questions, to put pressure on their Democrat colleagues and saying, you know what, this is, because the point is this guy completely believes in the Biden open borders agenda, the Biden amnesty for all open borders, let it all go agenda. And this is a good opportunity for Republicans to point out to the American people, is this really what you voted for? Because I don't think it is. I think the American people do not want the Biden agenda, which is why he's being forced to do executive orders. They don't want that to happen to America. They want their Republican representatives in the House and Senate to stand up and fight back. One last quick story, Erasing America. And I got to tell you, this, I think this is, you know, I use the expression Erasing America and I really, I, I know it um, may sound like an odd term, or what are you even talking about? I want to remind you of the book. We've talked about this book on my show before uh, many times. We talked about this book that was written by a guy named Cleon Skousen. He's the author of the book in 1958. So, you know, it's been around a while, decades long. The author of the book called Naked Communist. And he's basically saying what they figured out, what the American military figured out, in dealing with the communist aggression toward America was that they had actually quite a bit of serious, serious, long thought out plans the communists did for how to take America down. 
long thought out plans of how to take America down. It, and the communists realized early on they were never going to match America's military might. They probably were never going to convince Americans, let's just surrender and, and give up our freedom and freedom of religion and speech and opportunity, everything great about America. America wasn't going to give it up just because the communists came over and said, hey, wouldn't you love to be communist? So this communist, this communist idea that was written, spelled out in Naked Communist, he's actually laying out uh, the communist objectives, what they had to do to bring communism to America, to force America or to dupe America into unwittingly accepting communism. Among the many things, on the, and we've been over this before, but these are, I, I mean, you, I know that I go down this path and some of you say, oh, we're going to talk about that again. But you have to understand, the communists who are parallel with today's leftists, they always play the long game. They always play the long game, the decades-long game. Republicans tend to get into an election cycle. They hone in on two or three talking points or two or three issues, and they get out there and they say to them and say, yeah, yeah, we won. And, and not recognizing the Republicans are trying to perpetuate America the free. They're not always good at that, and they actually deserve some criticism because oftentimes they just capitulate to the left. But the left has always been about destroying the idea of America, the idea of a country rooted in freedom. So communists, uh, this guy writes about it. I'll tell you very quickly certain items which we're now seeing played out. Uh, number uh, goal 31 of the communists, of the 45 communist goals to take over America. Goal 31 belittle all forms of American culture and discourage the teaching of American history on the ground that was only a minor part of the big picture. Give more emphasis to Russian history since the communists took over. So it's belittling all forms of American culture. A similar one, goal 30 of the communists wishing the, playing the long game destroying America, goal 30, discredit the American founding fathers. Present them as selfish aristocrats who had no concern for the common man. And so I could read a bunch of the other ones. I want you to think about that. The long game, you know, the long walk through the American institutions, long game, communists take over, and we're watching this happen right in front of our eyes. And we have so many people not awake, lulled in and duped into accepting the left's attack on various, uh, on America's history, on our leaders, on our founders. And they don't realize they're just enabling this communist takeover. So I'll move to my last little tidbit for today, a story out of San Francisco. So the San Francisco School Board, San Francisco School Board voted to change the names of some public schools in San Francisco. Schools named after some of the American founders, George Washington, uh, schools named after George Washington to be renamed because George Washington, for a period of time, owned slaves. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, Lincoln being removed from the names of public schools because Lincoln is reputed to have been unfair to, the, to Native Americans. Uh, I mean, so these, these two just, you know, astonishing, towering figures in American history who helped shape this country, make it great. This is the left-wing San Francisco School Board changing the names of those schools. This is happening all over the country, but a really little and, and kind of amazing iteration in, in San Francisco, they're actually changing the name of an elementary school named after Dianne Feinstein, the senator who's been in the Senate for like 180 years or something. She's been there forever. But she is a Democrat senator 
And you would think they would be celebrating her. She's a Democrat, she's a woman, she's a senator. But they're changing the name, taking away the naming of a school after her because her wrongdoing, when she was a mayor, she was mayor in San Francisco from like, I think it was 78 to 88, something like that. 1978 to 88, she's mayor of San Francisco. And in 86, while she was mayor, there was apparently someplace outside the mayor's office, a display that included a Confederate flag. And somebody attacked the Confederate flag and burned it. And she as mayor had it replaced with another one. So I don't think she's been viewed as a dangerous Confederate, uh, you know, um, Southern type person. You know, she's from San Francisco. She's towed the leftist Democrat line throughout her time in the Senate. But that one incident back in 1986, 1986, was enough for the school board in San Francisco to take away the naming of a public school that has been named the Diane Feinstein, whatever, elementary school, because she did that one thing. Even the mayor of San Francisco weighed in and said, you know, I think this is a little extreme here. We're getting carried away here, but I'm getting out and I'll close the show and turn to my white matters to you by saying this. We're watching how leftists function when they get power. They're moving right away to turning to discuss domestic terrorism to include anyone who doesn't like leftist ideas, anyone who's opposed to the leftist agenda, anyone who believes strongly in religious freedom, anyone who believes in the freedom of the Constitution and free markets. The domestic terrorism, we're going to have an expert on tomorrow talking about this, but the left is using domestic terrorism, formerly reserved for actual terrorists, to a, as a political weapon to silence people on the right. The leftist mindset, as we are watching in this one week anniversary from Biden having been inaugurated, domestic terrorism, soon going to mean you, going to mean everybody who dares challenge leftist um, orthodoxy, taking away naming of public schools in San Francisco of towering American figures who, yes, they may have done things that weren't perfect, which is why you have education to teach children the idea that, you know, George Washington, his time, you know, he did own slaves and it wasn't right. And he did, you know, um, he had some words he said that recognized it wasn't right. But this was a period of American history. America moved past that. He did many great and noble things. Same thing with Abraham Lincoln, who's obviously the one who announced the Emancipation Proclamation, freeing the slaves, but he's being removed as, a, as it can't be a name of a school because of the way he is alleged to have treated Native Americans. I'm not disagreeing with the allegation. I'm just saying this leftist you know, litmus test, one thing you've done wrong, one thing we can criticize, and you're gone, is a blistering attack on America and on freedom, and they're just getting started. I close every show by telling you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we start our show today talking about Senator Rand Paul rocks the Senate, and he most certainly did, and why it matters. Senator Rand Paul is a rising statesman for the times, separating the hate Trump frenzy from the bigger picture of what is happening. His five-minute speech in the U.S. Senate is a must-watch exposure of hypocrisy. Shooter of Steve Calise, Scalise, a would-be massacrer of House Republicans, should Bernie Sanders, who was inflamed him. Should Bernie Sanders be held responsible and impeached? Encouraging, get in their faces and confront them. Should Maxine Waters be held responsible and impeached? 
any politician that says fight for America, are they guilty of inciting riots and insurrection? Refusal to bow to George, say the words, the election wasn't stolen. George Stephanopoulos, he's forcing to say the words, the election wasn't stolen. The whole notion of you're not going, you're going to say what we tell you to say, and you're not going to say what we don't want you to say. Freedom of speech, freedom to disagree, freedom to question, all are under direct assault. Senator Rand Paul is showing clarity and courage. And on the next slide, we have the uh, next story in the show, alarming Tulsi Gabbard warning. The mob that stormed the Capitol on January 6th to try to stop Congress from carrying out its constitutional responsibilities were behaving like domestic enemies. Yes, they were, of our country. But let's be clear, the John Brennans, Adam Schiff's, and oligarchs and the big tech who are trying to undermine our constitutionally protected rights and turn our country into a police state with KGB-style surveillance are also domestic enemies and much more powerful and therefore dangerous than the mob that stormed the Capitol. Former Democrat Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard, Ms. Gabbard is an awake American. Her concerns ought to be nonpartisan. American conquest via immigration. And this, what I mean by that is uh, using immigration to enable the conquest, the taking over of America. Open the borders, end construction of the wall, stop deportation of lawbreakers. What is the evidence the American people voted for this agenda? What's the evidence the American people support this agenda? Biden barely campaigned. A hate Trump vote for Biden was not an endorsement of radical leftism. Americans are recognizing hate Trump was the squirrel to draw attention away from the radical agenda the left is pursuing that Americans have never voluntarily embraced. And on erasing America, leftists in San Francisco acting in, in, to order name changes for schools named after Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln, I forgot to mention Thomas Jefferson, and George Washington, and now even those named after Democrat Dianne Feinstein, because in the 80s she once acted to restore a decorative Confederate flag that had been burned by protesters. There is no principled stopping point to this rewrite erasure of history, and it serves the communist agenda to force to cause Americans to forget who we are and what we are. This is not a newsflash. This is what revolutionaries have long understood as critical to achieving their goal of fundamental transformation. Erase all knowledge of what existed before and why. Americans must not allow the erasure of their history and heritage. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. You can email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com. You can go to my website, americacanwetalk.org. And on that website, hit the subscribe button, get a once a week newsletter, and on the same website, hit a donate button to keep the show on air. You can make a one-time or a recurring donation. I've had some listeners email me and ask if they could mail a check instead of uh, doing their credit card online. If you want to do that, just email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com. I can send you an address to send that check if you want to do that. I really, I cannot urge you strong enough to recognize we are living in ex enormously consequential times in America, enormously consequential as to whether or not we hold on to the idea of liberty in this country. We are facing tremendous, tremendous censorship. Some, as we talked about today, coming from the government or intending to come from the government, some coming from big tech. Corporate America is chiming in, go, going along with this shutting down of speech. It's going to be incumbent on the people, on we the people, 
to preserve this country. There's no one leader who's going to emerge and save us all from what the left is doing. It's going to take the people standing up in a lawful, peaceful, but relentless and endless effort to stand up and speak up and defend America, the most extraordinary idea in human liberty ever to bless this earth. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. America, can we talk truth about America?